head on out with your leaders. We are in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Keep your Bibles open because uh, we'll be looking elsewhere in that chapter as well. But a, a message I've entitled this morning, Water Walker. Water Walker, Matthew 14. Please stand out of honor to God and his word as I read. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Thank you. you may be seated. So we're talking about walking on the water. Again, we're all familiar with the story. But speaking of that, there were two hunters. Hunters who were always trying to one-up each other with their hunting equipment. But one day, one of the hunters got a new dog that could walk on water. So he took his friend out duck hunting with the new dog. The man shot a duck, and then his dog walked on the water to fetch the duck. The man shot another duck, and then his dog walked on the water to fetch the second duck. The man shot a third duck, and his dog walked on the water to fetch that duck. Well, after this amazing display, the man asked his friend if he noticed anything unusual about his new dog. The man replied, yes, I did. I noticed your new dog can't swim. <laughs> Let's look at Water Walker, beginning, first of all, with sailing from verse 22, sailing. Now, Jesus has just miraculously fed 5,000 men plus women and children. That's in verse 21. So when we talk about feeding the 5,000, the scriptures say, but there was also women and children. So we're looking at maybe twice that many, maybe not 5,000, but 10,000 or more. But he had just finished that miracle of feeding the 5,000 men plus women and children. And then Jesus sends the multitudes away, and he sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee in a ship. Now, if you notice the word constrained there in that verse where it says he, sends, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship, the Greek for the word constrained there means compulsion, not suggestion. In other words, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, you guys don't have anything else to do. Why don't you go across the sea? He demanded they go. Why would he demand that? Because he knew the storm that they would encounter down in verse 24, and he knew the miracles he would perform as a result. So he doesn't say, hey, if you guys, you know, you got time, whatever, why don't you get in the boat and go? He demands they go. He constrained his disciples because he knew they would encounter the storm. That was part of his plan. And he knew the miracles they would perform. But notice what that first verse says now. Jesus was all alone. It says there he was all alone. And by the way, he realized that was a perfect time to pray. And it says right there, that's exactly what he did. He was all alone. And so he took that time to pray. Please hear me, my friends. Prayer is critical to spiritual growth. You want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, you better be spending time in prayer. It is critical to our spiritual growth. You say, well, I pray over my meals, and I, I pray when there's an emergency. That's important. That's good. But we need, and God wants more. We need more than just praying over our meals. We need more than just praying in times of crisis. God wants more than Praying, hearing us pray before we eat, or hearing us pray when there's a trouble out there. We need, and God wants more than that. And so I want to challenge everybody in this room and everybody watching to find a daily time and a daily place to be alone with God in prayer. Again, Jesus sends everybody away. And he says he's all alone. And what does he do? He takes that time to 
take that opportunity to pray. You and I must find a time, we must find a place to be alone with God to pray. And think about this. Prayer was important to Jesus. How can it not be important to us? If Jesus himself, God in the flesh, knew he needed to get alone to pray, how can you and I think, ah, I don't need to pray. It's not that important. I prayed at church. I prayed at lunch. No. Prayer was important to Jesus. It better be important to us. And so we see sailing. The second way I want us to go to sighting. In verse 26, sighting. Jesus walks toward the disciples on the water. Now, we know it was 3 a.m. because the Bible says it was the fourth watch of the night. That would have been 3 a.m. How in the world can Jesus walk on the water? Well, as God, he can do all things. He can walk on the water. He can create heavens and earth by his word. He can remove the great fears of our lives like death and hell and daily provision. But here's the catch. The disciples think they see a ghost. Here it is, Jesus walking with them on the water. They say, oh, it's a ghost. I want you to know that belief in ghosts is very old. In fact, it's older than just what we read here. We know this story is about 2,000 years old. It goes before that. Belief in ghosts is very old. And so let me ask the question this morning. Are there ghosts? Is there such thing as ghosts? I mean, there's TV shows devoted to ghosts, and they apparently see things. Whenever I watch a show, I don't see anything. I have a great aunt, mom's aunt. She said her whole house was uh, possessed by, uh, by uh, ghosts. Are there ghosts? different phobias, and I'm not going to share this with you this morning because I couldn't pronounce them, but all these different phobias they 
realize there is a phobia of phobias? People are afraid that they're going to be afraid of something? I had no idea of that. I couldn't pronounce it either. God does not necessarily remove all fear from our lives. But he gives us courage to face those fears. So if you're afraid of fear, you might leave here today still afraid of fear. But God will give you the courage to face that fear. Second thing I want to point out here is we often don't recognize God when he comes. Now, there was Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to the disciples. He's walking on the water, and they say, oh, it's a ghost, and they cry out in fear. They didn't recognize him. We don't often recognize God when he comes to us. We think he only comes in the miraculous, like healings. Somebody is healed, and we say, oh, that was God. Or a natural disaster, just like La Plata had, you know, 21, 22 years ago with the tornado. We say, wow, that was God showing his power or maybe God provides for you. I'm sorry about this microphone. I don't know what it's doing. But God provides for you financially in a, in a miraculous way. You say, oh, that's God. No question, that's God. Or, or maybe it's some unusual circumstances that comes your way. And you say, well, that's God. And we think he only comes to us in the miraculous. But I want you to know that God also comes to us through work. First of all, through his work, what we call the Bible. He comes to us through the word. And that's why it's so important that we read his word. And we study his word and we hear his word because he comes to us in his word. But not only does he come to us through his word, he comes to us through the words of others, like preachers and teachers and friends and even children. God not only comes to us through words, he comes to us through the actions of others. Maybe through helpers, maybe through doctors, maybe through nurses. I told you about two months ago, I sit before you today as a miracle. God did a miraculous work in my life. But that doesn't mean he didn't use doctors and nurses. That, didn't mean, that doesn't mean he didn't use my wife, Debbie, and our friends. All these people worked together to help me get to where I am now. And he's still using doctors and nurses and others. I'm sorry, Chuck to get me to where I need to be. And so don't only look for God in the miraculous. I'm sorry. Yes, he may be in the miraculous. He certainly does that. But don't miss him if he doesn't come in the miraculous. Don't miss him if he comes to you in the everyday. Well, look down to verse 27. Jesus reveals his identity. When they're all afraid, oh, it's a ghost, it's a ghost, he said, no, no, cheer up, fear not. And then he says, and I love this, it is I. It is I. Now, the first thing I want to say about that, because I'm kind of a grammar Nazi, thanks to the King James Version translators, Jesus uses proper English. Because if it was any of us, we'd say, it's me. That would be incorrect. He says, it is I. That's proper. But what's more important is what Jesus really said there. He didn't say, it is I. He said, I am. In the Greek, Jesus says, cheer up, fear not, I am. Well, what is I am? Well, I am is the personal name of God. Remember when Moses first encounters God at the burning bush? And Moses says, well, who are you? What's your name? And God says, my name is I am. You see, only God could walk on water. And so when Jesus comes walking on the water, guess what? He's God. And he says so. He says, I am. Jesus here shows and tells that he is God. 
But notice Peter is not convinced. In verse 28, Peter says, If it's really you, Jesus, if you're really I am, invite me to come join you. I don't think it's you. I think it's a ghost. But if it's really you, invite me to join you. And so look in verse 29. Jesus tells Peter, Come. Come. And Peter walked on the water towards Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's not just that Jesus, who is God, walked on the water. Now Peter is walking on the water on his way to Jesus. So we've seen sailing. Jesus said, you guys absolutely got to go across. And then we see the sighting. They see Jesus walking to them. They say, that's a ghost, and they're afraid. Let's look thirdly at sighting, excuse me, sinking, in verse 30, sinking. As I mentioned before, Peter took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to pay attention to the wind and the waves that the wind was was arousing. And Peter was afraid. Why was Peter afraid? He was afraid because the storm was fierce. And you may or may not have known this, but most sailors and fishermen in that day couldn't swim. And so Peter knew if he went down, he was staying down. And so he was afraid. But here's what I think is strange. Peter doubted while walking on the water. How could you be walking on the water and still be doubting? I mean, you're walking on water. I want you to know something about the Greek here too, though. The Greek for doubt is not theological here. It's practical. In other words, Peter did not doubt Jesus. Once he saw Jesus, he realized, oh, that is Jesus. He did not doubt Jesus. He doubted that a mere man such as he could walk on the water. And so Peter, he's walking on the water. He says, wait, I can't do this. I'm just a man. That's where his doubt comes in. And the Bible says Peter began to sink. I wonder, why do you doubt? Are you looking at the storms in your life instead of Jesus? Why do you doubt? Are you maybe out of God's will? You're not in his word, reading his word personally, coming to Bible study, worshiping. Of course, you're all here for worship. You get a gold star for that today. Maybe you're not communicating with God in prayer. Maybe you're not fellowshipping with God's people. Why do you doubt? Maybe you're looking at the storms of life instead of the Savior. Maybe you're out of God's will. Perhaps the devil is trying to stall your service for God. You know, there's a very old military strategy, and that strategy is, in time of war, to cut off communication. And so if you can take your enemy and cut off their communication so that they can't communicate with each other, then you can get victorious. Well, Satan is at war with us, and he's at war with our prayer time. And just like any good general, Satan says, let's cut off the communication. Let's keep them from praying. Let's keep them so busy, they don't have time to pray. They don't have time to communicate, and then I'll get the victory. Why do you doubt? Maybe it's because God is silent. Is that it? Is that why you doubt, because God is silent? I want you to know you're not the only one to feel this way. In fact, even Jesus got the silent treatment in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember when Jesus prayed before his crucifixion? He says, Lord, please take this from me. And he prayed the same thing three times. And you know what the Father responded to him? Nothing. Silence. So please don't think you're the only one out there that gets the silent treatment from God. Jesus himself got the silent treatment.
So why do you doubt? Are you looking at the storms of life instead of the Savior? Are you out of God's will, not reading His Word, not communicating in prayer, not fellowshipping with God's people? Perhaps the devil is trying to stall your service for God. He's cutting off that communication. Or maybe you doubt because God is silent. Remember, you're not the only one. Jesus himself got silence on the other end of his prayers too. And so we've seen sailing, we've seen sighting, we've seen sinking. And now my favorite part, I want us to look at saving. Peter calls out to Jesus to save him. He begins to sink and he says, Lord, save me. And I love this. Jesus saves Peter immediately. You see the scripture say that? Immediately, Jesus reaches down and saves Peter. Immediately. Now understand this. You can't be saved until you realize you need to be saved. Now Peter realized he needed to be saved. He was sinking. And so he calls out to Jesus. Well, you can't call out to Jesus until you realize you need to be saved. But once you realize you need to be saved, you don't have to wait. Salvation is immediate. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you believe He died on the cross to pay for your sins, that He was buried for your sins, and He rose again the third day for you, at that moment, you're saved. You don't wait till later. You don't wait till next month. You don't wait till you come forward in church. You don't wait till you fill out a card. You don't wait till the church votes you in a mem- as, in a, as a member. The moment you call out to Christ to save you, immediately He saves you. Having said that, I want you to know that in the Bible... We read about salvation not only being immediate, like here, but we also read about it being progressive and even future. Particularly in Paul's writings, he will say something like, I am saved, that's immediate, but it'll also say, I am being saved, and it'll also say, I will be saved. And these are all true. So we're saved in a moment, we're saved immediately that when we receive Christ as Savior. But then we're in the process of being saved, and there is that ultimate sense in which we will be saved one day when we're sitting in heaven. And so I don't want you to hear me today and say, well, Gary said that we're saved immediately. And now I'm reading Paul here, and he says we will be saved. Now you understand why the scriptures have salvation being immediate, progressive, as well as future. But notice something about Peter. He didn't seek other sources of salvation. Like he could have looked to himself. He could have said, well, I'm just going to start swimming. Yes, it's true. He probably didn't know how to swim. But what if he didn't know how to swim? But he didn't say, you know what? I'm just going to rely on myself. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to swim myself. He also didn't turn back to his fellow sailors, his fellow fishermen, and say, hey, throw me a ring or throw me a rope. He looked to the only one who could save him, Jesus. Jesus was his only Savior. Jesus is our only Savior. But sadly, people look to themselves. They think they can save themselves by being good enough or by coming to church enough or by giving enough money. They look to others. They say, well, I'm really close with the preacher. I'm really close with that deacon, and I know they're on their way to heaven, and we're real close, and so I know I'm just going to catch on their coattails. No, 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 no. Don't look to other sources to be saved. Look to the only source of salvation, Jesus Christ. Peter knew what he was doing. He says, Lord, I'm sinking here. Save me. And Jesus saved him immediately. Jesus was his only Savior. He is our only Savior. But now catch this. Once in the ship, Jesus calmed the storm. If you read on, you see that once he's in the ship, he calms the storm. Now, this was actually miracle number four in the past 24 hours. 
according to Matthew. Miracle number four. The first miracle is Jesus fed the 5,000 plus women and children. The second miracle, he walked on the water. The third miracle, he let Peter walk on the water. And now the fourth miracle, he calms the storm. You say, well, that sounds familiar with Jesus calming the storm. Well, that's probably not what you're thinking of. That's back in chapter 8. But this was still a miracle where Jesus calmed the storm again. Miracle number four in the past 24 hours. But there's something else I want to point out. Not only did Jesus calm the storm once he was in the boat, but look down to verse 33. Jesus received worship. Those people on the boat said, this is the Son of God. I saw him walk on water. I saw him let Peter walk on water for a while. I saw him calm the storm again. I saw him feed the 5,000 plus women and children. He's the Son of God. And he received that worship. But he also received worship not only as the Son of God, as the Scriptures say, but as the Creator and Lord of all. Who can walk on water? Who can calm the storm? Only the Creator and Lord of all. And of course, they saw what he did with Peter. Jesus received worship as the Savior. And so once he's in the ship, Jesus calms the storm, and then he receives worship as the Son of God, as the Creator and Lord of all, as the Savior. So today I've got a couple questions for you. Question number one, have you received Jesus Christ as Savior? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried for your sins, and he rose again the third day? Brother Gary, you just asked me that last week, and you just asked me that the week before, and you just asked me that the week before, and the week before, and the week before, and ever since you've been here, you keep asking the same question. That's right. Can you answer in the affirmative? Can you say, yes, I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior? If so, great. If not, what are you waiting for? Invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior right here, right now, today. You say, Brother Gary, but I hear that every week and I've already received Christ as my Savior. Good. I'm reminding you to go tell others because others need to hear the same message that you hear week after week after week after week. And so have you received Jesus as your Savior? And here's my second question. Are you worshiping him for who he is? Is he just some nice guy? Is he just somebody you learned about in Sunday school? Is he somebody that just makes sure you have food on your table? Or is he the Son of God, the Creator and Lord of all, the Savior? Not a Savior, the one and only Savior. Have you received him as your Savior? Are you worshiping him for who he is? So today we looked at sailing. Jesus didn't recommend, hey, why don't you guys go across? You know, I'll catch up to you later. He demanded they go. He knew they were going to run into a storm. He knew he'd calm the storm. He knew he was going to walk on the water. He knew Peter was going to walk on the water for a while. Then we looked at sighting. So Jesus comes to them walking on the water, and they say, that's ah, a ghost, and they're afraid. Remember, no such things as ghosts. No such things as ghosts. So don't be afraid of ghosts. I'm sure there's a phobia for that too. Don't be afraid. There's no such thing. And then we looked at sinking. Peter starts to walk towards Jesus. He's walking on the water. And then he starts looking at all the water and feeling the wind. And he begins to sink. And then my favorite part, we looked at saving. He says, Lord, save me. And immediately 
Jesus reached down and pulled him up. Remember, if you want to be saved, you don't have to wait. You don't have to go through a lot of paperwork. You don't have to sign documents. Right here, right now, invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior. He'll save you immediately. So have you received him as your Savior? And for those of us who have, make sure you are worshiping him for who he is. He's the Son of God. He's the creator and Lord of all. He is the one and only Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great story. It's not just a story, it's true. I mean, who can walk on water? Only God can do that. And only God could permit it, like in the case of Peter. It's amazing. You are Lord, you are creator, and you can walk on water, and you can do anything else that we would describe as a miracle. It's nothing for you. So we praise you today. And the greatest miracle you do is save lost souls. And there may be some lost right here in this room, right now, listening, sitting, singing, praying. Lord, I pray that right now you would give them grace and faith to believe, to receive Christ as personal Savior right now. And for those of us who are saved, Lord, we need to share that message with the lost and dying world. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. And we also need to worship you for who you are. You're not some guy. You're the Lord and creator of all. You're the one and only Savior. You're the Son of God. And we worship you, we praise you, we honor you. And we thank you for what you'll do in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.